kind of just directs us with the way that he wants to go. Because I was actually studying for something completely different, but just some conversations that I've had over the last month, really the Lord brought to mind. And so the focus today is going to be really quite simple in that, at least it should be, we would think as a Christian, if you call yourself a Christian, at least if you identify with Christ, that the Bible would be important to us. There is a, during COVID or during the pandemic, there was a professor at the University of Tennessee who was a music teacher or music professor, and he had a, a music class. And so he thought, I'm going to try and do something different. There are my kids, my students are scared, and some of them aren't even here. Some of them aren't really focused. There's just a lot going on in the world. It was relatively new to what most people's experiences were with the, the things that we experienced during the pandemic as far as how it changed people's day-to-day -day lives. And so he said, I'm going to do something new. I'm going to Essentially what he set out to do is he said, I'm going to take the syllabus, something that people don't normally read, and I'm going to put clues in the syllabus and it's going to lead to some money that they can go. It'll have the combination to a locker on campus. And so if they read through it, they'll get the clues and we'll see who the first person is to go collect that money that's in the locker. It was about 50 bucks. It wasn't much, but he just thought it would be interesting to see and encourage them, hey, to re-engage, to pay attention, to focus. There's a lot of distractions out there. Right now, he had about 70 students in his class, he says. He, he was at the University of Tennessee. And so the semester ended in December 8th. And so he, he hadn't gone and looked. He wanted to wait till the semester was over. And then he went and looked in the locker and 50 bucks was still there. No, nobody had read through the syllabus of all 70 people. Nobody read through uh, the syllabus. And if you've never been to college or you don't know what a syllabus is, essentially it, you read it in the front end of class and it tells you, okay, these are the expectations. This is your... These are what assignments are graded differently. This is the late assignment penalties. It kind of everything about the class, how to be successful, essentially. But you look at writing styles and all that to it. And I really, I think I appreciated this story because I'm in my senior year in college as well. And I don't read the syllabuses other than I look for very key pieces of information that I need to be successful. So I like, I completely get, I would be one of those 70. And so it was just, I, I had to laugh. And he, so he posted this on social media after it was done. And it was funny reading like what some of the students thought, man, oh, I should have read it. But where I'm going with this and what I thought really ties in perfectly to what uh, I'll be talking about today, he said, he goes on to say that he wasn't disappointed with the students. He said, when I was a student, I probably would have been a part of that 70, but he says, it's interesting that we read the parts that we deem important, discard the rest of it. And it's so true. If you open God's word and we'll look at some statistics where there's some people that say they're Christians and don't ever even open God's word, but really we only focus on the stuff that we think is important. And so I want to look at first off when we start a holistic view of the Bible and okay, what is important in the Bible? Where should we be focusing? And the answer should be very clear. What should the answer be? All of it. Absolutely. So as we're going into a new year and the reason that I thought it would be I really felt led to do this because originally I was going to be in first John. We're in first John chapter one, specifically on Monday nights. I just started, we just ended a book. We started a new book for our youth on Mondays and our, our college group. And so we'll be in, in first John chapter two tomorrow. Um, so that's where I was going to go. But it was one of those things that as I'm studying and I'm sitting there and I'm praying and I'm reading and I'm, it just, nothing was coming together. And it's a weird kind of experience because, you know, when God's blocking you with something, that's the only way I can explain it is I felt, I'm like, Lord, is this not what I'm supposed to be teaching? And then all these conversations just rushed back to me over the last month. And I had, uh, you know, several people, whether it's just in, in the scope of counseling or 
just conversations after a service or before, just out and about where people would, and this happened probably four times, I, I think, where people would say, I'm just, I'm really, feel like I don't hear God. I, I just feel like he's not talking to me. I'm asking, I'm praying, and I just don't hear. I don't hear what he, he, he's telling me. I don't have an answer. And, and that doesn't mean that we have to demand an answer. Sometimes we won't hear one. But when the question, usually I ask the question right after that is, well, okay, tell me what you've been studying through. Well, what have you been reading through in the Bible, maybe yesterday or, or today? And the answer 100% of the time has been, I don't really read. I need to. I know I've got to get better at that. And it's like, how are we going to know God or hear from God if we're not in his living word? And so that really is what drove, I think, the Lord led me today to, to speak on the importance of just his word. Now, there's other things in our spiritual life that are incredibly important. You, you can't just be in his word without prayer. We have to have prayer. We have to have worship, right? All of those things are important. Fellowship is important. But we're going to focus today specifically on getting into his word. I, I was looking through some studies, looking at other major world religions that have religious texts to study. And did you know that really the highest, what religion do you think would have the highest rate of people at least claiming, this is a survey, right? So people have to answer these questions. So there's always a margin of error with people not being honest. But what faith do you believe is the most of the people who study their religious text the most percentage-wise? Any guess? Nope. Nope. Jehovah's Witness. Almost 90%. Who would be number two, do you think? Mormons, almost 80%. Guess where evangelical Christians fall? 63%. These are people that say, if the study's correct, which considering margin of error, it's probably pretty accurate. Just in my own experience with talking to people and in my own life, in, in times and phases of my life, if 63% of evangelical Christians say that they read the Bible at least once a week, and that percentage is just once a week. There's a disconnect between what we do and what we say we believe. And really, I want my goal today is to refocus on the importance of intentional time in God's Word. So we'll, we'll break that down. And that's why I, I'm at where we're at. So why do we read the Bible? We're going to go over four points today. Number one, we're going to go through the fact that the Bible is our spiritual food, our spiritual sustenance. We're going to talk about the Bible as our guide for life. We're going to talk about Bible as our source of comfort and strength and as a tool for witnessing and ministry. Those are the four key things that I want to focus on, and we'll go through each <clears throat> one of them. But I think that it's important before we start to talk about what being in the Bible means. Because you can read God's word and have no idea what you're reading. You can read the text on a page and not actually be reading the text on the page. Do you understand what I'm saying with that? It's like, you, how many of you have ever had the experience, and I can say this just in my own life being in school, that you read something, you get three, four pages in, and you're like, what did I just read? Like your mind is somewhere else. You read the words but you did not comprehend at all what you just read. So what I'm not talking about is just the physical act of opening God's word and reading words on a page. I'm talking about intentional time reading. That means that we weed out things that distract us. That's why in some cases, 
it's probably not wise to have your only time in the word on your phone. Why do you think that would be? Not to say that it's bad, not to say don't do it, but what could be the danger? The distractions, the notifications come in. And this happens to me a lot, being in ministry, being in school, being a dad, being a husband, all the things that come in. This happens to me a lot. I'll be sitting down studying God's word and all of a sudden a notification comes in. Oh, I got to check that real quick. They're, they need something. And then 30 minutes later, I haven't been in God's word. I checked my emails. I responded, to, I responded to a text. I opened up some school stuff and it's, man, what am I doing? So even in my own life, I've had to focus on what intentional time with God means. And I still use my devices, but now I do things like do not disturb, right? Things where notifications won't come through. So when I say intentional time studying God's word, that's what I mean. And I want to say that up front because everything feeds off that, right? None of this means anything if you just open it and read text and you're not actually reading what you're reading. And hopefully that makes sense. If there was a central verse for today, uh, I'm going to go through many. It's a more of a topical today. It's not, we're not like in the book of Luke, like I was last time. We're going to, 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17, that would be our key verse. So if you do not have a Bible today, we would love to bless you with one. The ushers can give you one. And John, I forgot to uh, do the offering first service, so forgive me if you're in here. But now would be a good time if you didn't. You already handled it. See, they know I forget every single time. I don't know that I've remembered once. So thank you for your grace and your uh, faithfulness in giving. So 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17, we'll pray, uh, we'll read this, and then we'll go ahead and pray to open. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. So before we pray, and this goes into, if you don't have a Bible, you know how many times I talk with my youth that will come into youth, they don't have a Bible. I know you have a Bible. Well, I forgot it. It's lost. There, there's, we're not putting an importance on God's word. And the same, I would encourage you to uh, here today is that and people have told me this before. I don't bring my Bible to church. I just read what's on the screen. We're missing it. That Bible's got to be so important to you. That thing goes with you everywhere. That is your freedom. That is your life. That is the light in this dark world. And I just feel like all too often we don't look at it that way. So reading 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17, would it be safe to say then, could I tell you accurately that, or let, let me ask this question, what parts of the Bible are good to teach us and correct us. If we're looking at 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17, what sections? All, there's no sections. It says all scripture is good for correction. If there's a promise that we can take from 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17 is if I read this, what will happen? What, what can we guarantee will happen if I intentionally read God's word following what 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17 is telling us? What's going to happen to me personally? Am I going to be convicted if I'm living in sin? Am I going to grow? Is this going to help me realize what's wrong in my lives? See, oftentimes, even as Christians, that's the reason we don't want to pick up God's word, especially when we want an answer to a tough question. Man, how should I handle this situation? You really want to know? I'll tell you. Look at this passage. Oh, I don't want to read that one because I don't want to do that. But it's true. If we're going to read God's word, if we're going to do it intentionally, we're going to be convicted. And that's good, but we shouldn't run from conviction. It's, I'm so grateful that God loves us enough to correct us. But let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you and we thank you for this time today. We thank you for your word, Lord. And I just ask very simply that we honor you in the way we approach your word, that we approach your word as truth, that we desire to grow closer to you, to draw nearer to you, that we desire to be corrected. Lord, there's so much encouragement in your word, but there is so much correction as well, and it goes hand in hand. And Lord, we just thank you for that. And may we honor you in this time today. In your holy name we pray. Amen. So as we start here, that being our key verse, and we'll wrap up with that verse as well, I want to make something completely clear because I have heard it said, and some Christians say that, listen, I only study the New Testament. That's it. So New Testament, I'm all about Jesus. And is that, should we all be all about Jesus? Yeah. He's a central figure in creation. That's everything hinges on his sacrifice. Because he did what he did, I can be forgiven. Because he did what he did, we can stand before God. We have an assurity uh, of eternal, an eternity. We have an assurity of hope for our eternity is what I'm trying to say, because of who Christ did. But then why do I need to study the Old Testament? Some people will take the approach then that the New Testament means new God. Old Testament means old God. I don't like that old God, right? He's mean. He's cruel. He demands justice. He's a judge. But I like this new Jesus that, hey, man, love is love and everything's good. Love your neighbor, forgiveness, grace, all that stuff. Yeah, new God, good, old God, bad. Is that the way the Bible works? No, it's not. As a matter of fact, God is the same right now that he was the dawn of creation. He hasn't changed. But maybe I want him to because it makes me feel better. I have to under to understand God. I need to understand his word. I need to read his word. And that includes the old and the new. They go together. They're joined by Jesus right there in the middle. That's the first thing I want to make clear is you cannot have one without the other. It's all one work. It's all God's counsel. So if you're here today and you think that the New Testament is all I need, I would encourage you study God through the Old Testament as well. I was talking to somebody today who after first service was saying, man, I, I struggle with this a little bit. I, I read the Old Testament. I just don't get it. And then, then a brother had said something and I went back and read it and I'm like, whoa, where did this come from? And I love that because God is revealed in both. God is good in the New Testament and he's just as good in the Old Testament. He's faithful in the New Testament and he's just as faithful in the Old Testament. So we have to look at it as one. Okay. We got to study it as one. When we look at Hebrews 13, 8 through 9, on the idea that God doesn't change, and this is obviously here in the New Testament, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do not be attracted by strange new ideas. Your strength comes from God's grace, not from rules about food, which don't help those who follow them. Go, let's go back to the Old Testament. Malachi 3, 6 through 7. I am the Lord, and I do not what? Change. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He does not change. He keeps his promises. Goes on to say, that is why you descendants of Jacob's are not are, uh, Jacob are not already destroyed. Ever since the days of your ancestors, you have scorned my decrees and failed to obey them. Now return to me and I will return to you, said the Lord of heaven's army. I love so much reading through the Old Testament because it's easy as you... When you go through it, especially I love going through chronologically, Israel's ups and downs, and it's, it, it almost makes you dizzy looking back and forth, blessing, curse, blessing, curse, right? Good decision, bad decision, good decision, bad decision, right? And God is always so 
faithful. And he's even saying it here, I would have destroyed you long ago if I changed, but I made a promise and I'm going to keep my promise. And Christ is the fulfillment of that promise. And we would never appreciate that or grow from that if we don't read the Old Testament. We have to look at the Bible as a whole. So number one, the first point, the Bible is our spiritual sustenance or our spiritual food. And we see this example, we see it in Deuteronomy. We also see it in Matthew chapter four, where Jesus is being tempted. And the idea also of Jesus being tempted here is that Satan was talking to him and trying to tempt him to create food because he had been fasting. He would have been very hungry. And I love this idea of food because speaking about Deuteronomy, in Deuteronomy 3, we see the analogy here, or the example of manna. And if you don't know what manna is, it's something that, it's not something they would just go, that would grow on a tree and they could, man, we, if we plant it, we can harvest it. It's not how it worked. Manna was something that God provided very supernaturally for his people. They would wake up and there it was. And they very clearly could not, they fed them for the day. And what happened if they carried it over to the next day? It was bad, maggots, it was disgusting, it smelled. But up until that, it was good. It was nourishing, it, it, it was sweet. And except for the Sabbath, then God said, but on this day, I'll go ahead and carry it over an extra day so you can have the Sabbath. So it was very much a God showing his people for a long period of time that I will provide, that I keep my promises, that you can rely on me. And there is no way they could say that they did this because God just provided it. And they woke up and it was there. And when they went to bed, it was gone. And they had to trust God that the next morning it was going to be there. And it was so faithfully. But we see this in Deuteronomy 8.3. He says, yes, he humbled you by letting you go hungry and then feeding you with manna, a food previously unknown to you and your ancestors. He did it to teach you that people do not live by bread alone. Rather, we live by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. And this is all the way back to Deuteronomy. God's word doesn't change. We have to study his counsel in its entirety. See, the Israelites here welcomed God's provision of manna because they were in a place of hunger. And that is always the way to think about it in our own prayer lives. Yes, we, we pray and we should pray often, but when do we pray the hardest? When we're in trouble. It's almost, man, it's a last resort. I love how pastor says it's funny because it, if you've been in ministry, the longer you're in it, the more you see some of these things that Maybe I wouldn't have understood at the beginning, but it's funny now because I can relate to it. It's that in ministry, when you start calling pastors and saying, hey, man, we really need to pray for this need because this is getting bad. And it's, man, has it, has it come to that? Now we got to have a prayer meeting. And it's humorous, but it's sad at the same time because really that's how we approach prayer too sometimes, or we approach reading his word. It's not till we're in that valley, we're in that trial, we're in that hunger that we really want to be fed by God's word. But let's flip that. Let's start making that a priority. And that's, again, the encouragement I want to leave with you today is God's word feeds us. And that should be, man, that should be our priority. And there's such a blessing that comes with it. Just going through the chronological Bible, new year, starting a new plan with my wife and going through just reading it chronologically. There's so much, it's just amazing what God does as he reveals his word to us. We never get there if we don't open it and read it. First Peter 2, 2, when we think about the idea of nourishment, it says like newborn babies, you must crave pure spiritual milk so that you will grow into a, the full experience or to a full experience of salvation. Cry out for this nourishment. And I love that he uses this example because me and my wife have seven kids. We've got, if you know me, we've got twin toddlers over in children's ministry. 
And so the idea of breastfeeding is not foreign to me, right? I've seen it many times with our kids. Now I've never had the, obviously I've never experienced it, but I see when I see how my children cry for it. I see how when they're hurt, they're comforted by feeding. I see when angry, they're comforted. When they're sad, they're comforted. When they're hungry, they're comforted. It's a comfort. And I love how they use that analogy for God's word, because that should be our comfort there. And, and the word here, like newborn baby, babies, you must crave. That word crave there in other translations, it's desire. And, and when you break down the, a study of that word, it's not just a, hey, I want. It's a deep longing for God's word. As we're here today, can we say that we crave, that we have a deep longing for God's word? And I would submit that we could see that in our own lives by how we prioritize God's word, myself included. Is that the first thing I turn to when I'm bored and, and I have nothing going on, does my mind go, man, I want to get in God's word. And probably for most of us, myself including, it's not the case. And God forgive us for that. Another way we see that kind of that, that, that word that really emphasizes a meaning is in a psalm that actually is a worship song that we don't really sing so much, at least not here, but I remember singing it in my teenage years and I just loved it so much. And it's based on Psalms 42.1. We have sung it here before, but as most of you may know this, as the deer pants for the water, so pants my soul for you. Same kind of idea, the soul longing for God, a deep desire. I think we all understand what a deep desire is. We see it hopefully in a marriage relationship or whether we're super hungry or when we're really craving something, we need something, but that's where God's word should fill that area in our life. One commentator put it that failure to either desire or to receive this pure milk of the word is the reason for so many problems in both individual Christian lives and in congregations. One thing Chuck Smith used to do when he would do marriage counseling and he was in ministry obviously for a long, long time is people would say, Hey, pastor Chuck, we've got this problem in marriage and I really need to talk to you about it. And pastor Mike's talked about this up here and he would sit with people, but if he wasn't available to, he would say, Hey, I tell you what, this is what I'm going to do when they did cassette tapes, take cassette tape one zero zero two. And then I go through and that tape, I go through this passage of the Bible. That's all you need. And it's such a, if we really think about that, why is that all we need? Cause what is he doing? He's pointing you back to God's word. God's word has the answer, right? But we're in a society that wants to turn to everything but God's word. Yeah, yeah, I know I need God's word, but I want to hear the way this guy spins it. It's not what we're called to do. We have God's word and it's free. We have it. And so I think that's why I love that because it drives the point back to that his word is sufficient. The answers are there. Whether we want to hear them or not, it's a whole different thing, but his answers are there. And I love that about God's word so much is it, is the Bible confrontational? Yes, the Bible's confrontational. It confronts sin and is really good about, even though I might have pride, even though I might not want to hear it, if I'm intentional about reading God's word, I'm going to hear it. I might not choose not to follow it. I might not like it, but truth confronts untruth. Light confronts darkness. And we'll see in a little bit where the Bible is our guide for life. That's point two here. Scripture provides guidance for wisdom and wisdom for daily uh, living. And it also provides direction. See, when we get frustrated and we, and this is my point with talking to people that have said, I don't really, I'm not really reading right now. 
when God speaks to us, how many have ever wanted to hear from God about whatever situation it is in your life and you just felt like you didn't get an answer? Has anybody ever experienced that at any point? And I don't mean long-term, but yeah, most of us have, right? And I just think back on my own life that I'd be praying for something and Lord, I just, I need your answer. And then I'm reading through his word, not even thinking about it. And it just hits me. No, he wasn't even thinking about it. It's like he answers me in that moment. But the point is 99.9% of the time. Now, can God speak to us audibly if he chooses? Yeah, we see that in from a burning bush. He did it from animals, right? He can speak however he wants to speak. He is not going to be limited based on what we think he can or can't do. He can speak to us. He can send his angels. He can do anything that he wants. But 99.9% of the time, how is God going to speak to us? Through his word, because it's living. This is his voice, but we don't take the time to open it. When we think of uh, God's word being a guide to us, uh, Psalms 119.105 says, Your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light to my path. And I, and I love this analogy. And a lot of times when we talk, like when I'm teaching in youth, just because I was in the Coast Guard for 10 years, I love the idea of a lighthouse, right? Because I'm just familiar with it. Being out in the water, we don't, it's not so much of an issue with modern technology today, but certainly a long time ago, a lighthouse was a source of life, right? If you saw that light, you knew that there was land over there in the darkness of the, your surroundings. You knew there was land. And, and that light, in this analogy, we, God would be his light, right? His word. But that's not really even doing this passage justice. This means that if we think about this passage, your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light to my path. It's a light that we have with us right? That's showing me not only where my feet can walk safely, but the path that I can take. It's a guide. Simply said, the Bible should help us walk the way God wants us to walk. Now, that does not mean that every little answer that I need in life, I'm going to find in the Bible. What do I mean by that? We were talking through this in youth, right? So we have people that we have a lot of people that play sports and instruments, music in the youth, our youth group. And so let's say one person's wanting to answer the question, well, okay, I really want to be led of God. I'm going to pray about this. God, should I play softball this season or should I wrestle? I want to do one or the other. God, guide me, direct me. Okay, but I don't hear anything. I don't hear him telling me, play softball. I, need, I want you to wrestle. But they're honestly seeking the Lord. How do we handle that? How do I answer that? I, I read his word, but that's not telling me to play softball or play rest, or wrestle. And that's actually a really good question especially from a youth, right? They're really wanting to seek God, but, and all they know is that God's word is the answer, but how do I reconcile those two? And it's very easy, right? And the discussion we have with them is what you're wanting to do, sin. Because if it's sin, if it's sin in God's word, then you stop then and there, right? You don't do it, right? But playing softball and wrestling, we're not going to look at the Bible and say that's sinful. Okay, has God told you not to do one of those things? Because if God told you, no, I don't want you wrestling, and you do it anyways, then that's sin. Might not be sin for one person, but it could be a sin for another. No, I don't never, God never told me not to do any of them. Okay. One of those directions lead you to sin, like an alcoholic that struggled with alcoholism, wanting to go do a prison minute or a witness ministry in a bar. Probably not, right? Probably need to not be around those influences, right? So where that may be okay for one person may not be for another, right? So well, that choice, could that lead you to sin? Is that something that God's saying, hey, probably shouldn't do that, even though it's not it wouldn't be bad for another person. And then at some point, you just make a decision. What do I want to do? So those are things that we can get hung up on reading God's word saying, do I do A or B? Just pray about it. 
think through those things. Is it sin? Will it lead me to sin? Has God told me not to do it? And then at some point, you just got to make a decision and God will bless you in that. And when we think through that, talking about his word being a light, I want to talk about what it's not as well, because we also can get hung up on here, especially in our self-help society. When we think about the analogy in the Psalms of God's word being a lamp and a light, right? It shows us where our feet can walk and it shows us the direction that we should take in life with the end goal being what? Eternity, right? We walk with God. We draw closer to God. We're going to make missteps all over the place. But if we keep daily going back to his word, we're keep, we keep getting refocused on the Lord. And, but what it is not, God's word is not, or the light rather, the light of your path and your lamp is not the newest self-help book. It's not how to live your best life now. That is not your lamp. That is not your life. God's word is. Now, does that mean that God cannot use books to encourage you? There's a lot of great Christian books out there that can be encouraging. But what do we, what's the danger we run when we start looking at other avenues that are apart from God's word? What danger do we run, do you think? We start idolizing them. That's part of the reason, and I, I want to say this, I do, I'm not putting down this in any way. This is just, remember how I talked about how one thing might be okay for somebody, but for another, God might say, probably not for you, because I see where that leads for you. So in my life, a long time ago, probably 15 years ago, devotions were how I got God's word. It was it. I would read a devotion. I would hear somebody's opinion. Maybe they put a scripture in there. Oh, that, that's a cool, that encouraged me. I feel good about that. And that was it. Now, does that mean that devotions are bad? No. But for me, what was I doing with them? I was putting them over God's word. I was idolizing the person writing them, and I was putting it over God's word. So that's just something that he did in my own heart. And I haven't read a devotional since. But that doesn't mean that they're bad. So if you're here today and you love devotionals, that's okay. I listen to podcasts and other things too. They're not bad in and of themselves, but where do they lead you to do it? For me, they led me on a reliance of something other than God's word. My word, the things that I say are not your lamp and they're not your light. The most persuasive social media influencer that dresses really nice and can speak very eloquently and really makes you always leaves you feeling really good. That is not your lamp. That is not your light. God's word is. It's so easy. And I would say that it's not easier now. It probably is in one sense because of social media and the access to information. But people being deceived is nothing new. This goes all the way back to the garden. But we live in a time today, right now, where, let me give you an example. Because this happens a lot. This is happening even more now. And I'm starting to see it more. And I look for it too, because I want to be aware of what my youth are hearing on campuses, the things that they're hearing, and we'll address them head on. But let's say that I was to make the claim to you that, would you agree that 2,000 years ago, uh, stealing was a bad thing? We could make that, a, we, we could say that, yes. But here's the thing. The word for stealing 2,000 years ago, it's different than the word we have today. So because I'm educated and because I study a lot, you guys might not realize this, but it's not really the same thing today. Actually stealing today, God would be okay with that. Guys, this is happening at church pulpits. Now all of a sudden we're starting to say sin, certain sins are good. They're healthy. Actually, they're holy. It breaks my heart that people are hearing this. Now, how would you know if I was to tell you that stealing is good, that it's okay, that it's actually 
ordained by God? How would you guys be able to look at me and, and tell me with any certainty that I'm either right or wrong? But if you don't have the Holy Spirit or you never open your Bible, how do you know what truth is? So many people get, they take so much stock in a person that's standing in front of a group of people, but they never go home and open their word. And that's what I loved about the Bereans. It shouldn't be me. It shouldn't be Pastor Mike Ozheimer. It shouldn't matter whoever is up here speaking. You should study yourself. You have to open God's word yourself. You have to be fed yourself. So many problems would be stopped if we would stop just wholeheartedly trusting what people say without going to God ourselves, without studying his word ourselves. And then when we're in his word, that's where somebody was saying, the Holy Spirit reveals himself, reveals God to us through his word. You should know God well enough in his word that when somebody says something like that immediately, you might not know the, pas the passage, you might not know the exact chapter and verse. That's not right. You might have to go look. That's not right. And that's my encouragement again for you guys today, that if you don't have an active, daily, intentional life of study of God's word, make that commitment. Get in God's word faithfully. Treat it with the importance that it should hold in our lives. And the word message here, when we look at uh, Colossians 3.16, it says, let the message about Christ and all its riches, richness fill our lives. Teach and counsel each other with all wisdom that he gives. That word message there being the word to hide God's word in our heart, to diligently and intentionally study God's word. And it's not just reading through it once. How many of you have ever had this experience where you read a passage and you're like, man, that's God. That's awesome. God really spoke to me in that passage. And then sometime later you read that passage again. And he's talking about something completely different. He's convicting you in something different in your life. It didn't change the meaning of the passage. It's just how God is working on your heart. And I love that so much. What other book do we read that really does that? It's unexplainable, but God speaks to us through his word. Psalms 1-2, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. Psalms 119.97, oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all day. Joshua 1.8, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written. So for those of you here today that do read your Bible, that you do read it faithfully, what does that look like? Is there a formula to be successful in reading God's word? Is there a wrong way or a right way? There'll be some days you might only read a few verses and God is just really doing something in your life and you're just chewing on it and meditating on it and thinking about it. And some days, you know, some days I'll read five chapters and not even realize it. And God's speaking to me through that block, right? There's not a set uh, formula, but are we doing it intentionally? And that's the bigger question. Am I really letting God's word soak into my heart or am I guarding myself because I don't really want to hear it? Psalms 23, 4, even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid for you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. Not only does the Bible give us comfort, but it gives us strength, strength to defend against temptation. And we see this example by Jesus himself. If you've grown up in church, you've no doubt at some point heard of the armor of God. Has anybody heard of that? The whole armor of God, right? We see that in, in Ephesians. 
Ephesians 6:17 put on the salvation as your helmet put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the spirit which is the word of God it is our only offensive weapon and when we look at Jesus's and we see this in Luke 4 Jesus's and it it, there's almost a little bit of humor to this because understanding, if we understand Jesus as fully man, fully God, right? Creator of all things, the, the very word, right? Look at John chapter six. I am the I am statements that goes all the way back to the burning bush, right? Tell him I am who I am, right? So the fact that Satan was so deceived and was so arrogant to think that, man, I'm going to defeat Jesus just by tempting him. I know he's hungry. And what example does Jesus give us, not once, but three times, in how he defended this temptation against Satan? He, re- he basically recited his own words, right? He recited scripture. That was the defense, the sword of the Spirit. But how can we be able to recite scripture? And we should be reading the Bible so much that, does that mean that I'm not going to experience fear or, or doubt or anxiety or depression or all those things that are just happen in the flesh, right? It's going to happen, right? We experience those things, but now I find myself, because I've studied God's word and, and it's important to me and I spend time with it and it's intentional and I allow it to get into my life. I allow him to speak into my life. Now, all of a sudden I'm experiencing fear and, and a verse comes to mind that, man, I'm not given a spirit of fear, but of peace and of love and of sound mind. Oh, you know what? That's right. God promised that. So I'm going to repeat that. I'm not given a spirit of fear. Now, all of a sudden it's helping me. It's encouraging me. It's nourishing me. I'm proclaiming the truths of God, that his promises matter and that that he's faithful. The Bible is a tool for evangelism. Uh, Romans 10, 17 says, so faith comes from hearing, that is hearing the good news about Christ. And I love uh, Pastor Ostheimer says this, the story always sticks with me because it's so simple and so beautiful. If you remember early on in his ministry, he had the opportunity to go to, I believe it was CSUB, uh, and there was like a panel of 17 people, all from different faiths and ideas and walks of life. And from Mormons to Muslims, to Buddhists, to Hindus, to Jehovah Witness, to all, everything. There was like 17 of them up there. And, and he was the one that was supposed to represent biblical Christianity. And, and I try and put myself in that position and think, man, that's got to be intimidating. And he even said, I was just praying, Lord, I don't help me. I don't want to dishonor you. I don't really know what, how I'm going to approach this. And I even think of Moses then as God's telling him, hey, I'm going to send you back to the place you ran from and you're going to speak for me. But I love the simplicity of what the Lord put on his heart. Very simply, just speak my word, not your opinion, just speak my word. So every question that he had, scripture, that's it. I'm just going to tell you what God's word says. And that is how we should approach our view of the Bible and our situations. It shouldn't be what does the next best guru say? What does God's word say? Because it un- it's unchanged, right? It, it, it is the same, just like God is, his word does not pass away. It will last forever. And so do we look at it that way? When we're faced with a challenging thing, as my first thought, I'm going to go to God's word and see what he says. And that's what I'm going to do. It's one thing to say that, yeah, I see what he says, but then are we doing it? That's the next part, right? But I love that. Just speak my word because God's word is enough. So I want to go back quickly and just recap that main verse for today. 2 Timothy 3, 15 through 17. And they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God 
and is useful to teach what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. But there's a danger in this too, and I've already alluded to it. Second Timothy 4, 3 through 4. And, and tell me if you can think of this in our lives today, just in things you've heard, things you've seen. Second Timothy 4, 3 through 4. For a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. They will reject the truth and chase after myths. And again, that's my point. I, I was watching a video the other day of a pastor who went on, I think it was CNN or MSNBC, and the, the question was posed about uh, the modern feminist movement and husbands and wives in those roles. And the question they asked him essentially was, what do you think? And, and his response was, look, you shouldn't care what I think. My job as a pastor is just to tell you what the God of what, what God's word says, unchanged, how he meant it, and that's it. I represent the gospel, and that's my job. It's not to bend to the will of society. It's not to say what might make you feel good about yourself or make me feel good about myself. It's not what's politically correct. My job is to tell you what does God's word say, and that's it. And their response was, through laughing, doesn't that seem misogynistic, a little sexist? I represent what God's word says. You take that however you take that. And that should be our approach on his word. It is the final authority in our life. And, and how will I see that in my life? If I really view God's word that way, what does that look like practically day to day for me? To see that his word is important, that it matters. What should I see in my life? I should see myself reading it. Yeah, and that leads to fruit, right? The fruit of the Spirit. But do I open it? Do I read it? And I think if you'll agree with me, hopefully, if you're in a place and you're being honest with yourself, and I have to be honest with myself, when I don't open up God's Word and I tell myself that I'm too busy, it's just an excuse. It just means that I prioritized other things. Honestly. And I just speak for that in my own experience and in my own life. Is it a priority? And if it's not, please devote yourself to God's word. Make it a priority. Make it intentional. I promise you, his word will transform you. It gives hope when we feel like there's no hope. His spirit, oh, I'm so thankful that, it's why the pastor talked about this as going through Acts, right? Jesus says, it's better that I leave because something better is coming. I'm here with you in flesh, but my spirit is going to be with you always. And I am so thankful for that. And that's why people who have no idea who God is can read the Bible and it makes no sense. And then that same person gives her heart to the Lord, filled with the Holy Spirit. And all of a sudden there's color and beauty and things that I didn't even see. How did I not see this before? It's amazing. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you so much for today. And we thank you more than anything for who you are, not what you can do for us, not even that you died on the cross for us. And we're eternally grateful for that but just that you exist and that uh, you are who you are. And then that you love us and you love us individually and that you would sacrifice yourself for us. It makes no sense because we're so broken. 
that you do love us and all we can do, the only words we can express is thank you. And it still doesn't come close enough. Thank you. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your love. And thank you for your justice and your conviction and that you love us enough that when we can read your word and the same with your spirit, that you convict us, that you discipline us, that you're molding us. And Lord, we just give you this week. Forgive us for not looking at your word correctly. We're just cre creating it or for using it as just a something to check off. Yeah, I, I did my Bible reading for today. Cool. Now I can go do what I want to do. But may we radically fall in love with you through your word. We love you. In your holy name we pray. Amen. Please rise here. Father, let your kingdom come. Father, let your will be done. On earth as in heaven, right here in my heart. Father, let your kingdom come. Father, let your will be done. On earth as in heaven, right here in my heart. You must stay on Give us a sweet forget the ones who sin against us. Give us no temptation to deliver us from the evil world. There your kingdom come. Father, let your kingdom come. Father, you will be done. There that's in heaven. Right in my heart. Father, let your kingdom come. Father, let your will be done. It's in heaven. Right here in my heart. Of us instead of telling you back. Give a sweet. Again, after what's your sin, thanks to us. Missions. It's short. It's yours. It's all yours. All yours. The kingdom, the power, the glory, all yours. It's yours. It's yours. All yours. All yours. Forever. And eternal. The kingdom, that you will be into. Because my love, water that you will be into. Because you will right here in my heart. Your are in heaven, right here in my heart. Amen. Oh, Father, lead us this week. Amen.
with the joy, the strength that we receive in your presence and in the guidance of your word. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Lead us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.